is like an eclipse where you know the sun's there, but it's dark. <clears throat> so I, I have probably seen four total eclipses, maybe just three. Maybe I was just trying to remember how many total eclipses I've ever seen it in my lifetime. I've seen partial eclipses. Ireland had a partial eclipse like four years ago, and it was really cool. But a total eclipse, when the sun is completely blocked out by the moon, and it's just dark, is absolutely, it, it, it really makes the hair stand on the back of your neck. You really feel like something's wrong. And the sun is still there, but it feels like it's not. And Job has an eclipse time in his life where everything just goes dark. So when we come to chapter 3, we're, we're in that eclipse time in Job's life. And, and Job chapter 3 talks about God in the darkness and what you learn about God when you can't see him. So, <clears throat> it's not, not Job. You can study Job to study Job, or you can study the book of Job to learn about God. So, it actually talks more, uh, more than just about Job's trouble and suffering. It also talks about God, what, what God is like. And by review, chapter 1 tells us about the character of God. God is holy. Um, uh, and um, the, all the character traits, I'm all of a sudden not remembering all of them. Um, and uh, uh, the, all of the character that, of, of Job that he was trying to emulate, he was trying to, to be godly, trying to be like God's character. And we find out he's reflecting and wanting to reflect the character of God. And we also see in chapter 1, as the devil comes along, and the Lord allows him, only allows him, to try to hurt Job, God remains sovereign. We learn about the sovereignty of God and the power of God over absolutely everything that happens in your life. So when things go wrong, when things go right, who's behind it? God. Now, yes, the devil may be tearing at you, but the devil's on a leash. Secondly, chapter 2, God actually pulls the curtain to heaven back and shows us a spiritual battle going on where, where the devil is saying, let me at him again. Let me, let me show you what he's made of. Let me show you that he will curse you to your face. And so there's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies. Now we come to chapter 3, and we discover that there are four questions that Job asks about God that, that he needs answers to. And they actually, everyone ultimately has these four questions um, uh, that uh, uh, when everything, including God, seems so dark. So um, let's get our idea, let's, let's get our mindset here and just realize that Job is in the depths of defeat. He's not just got a bad day, he is defeated, okay? There is, <clears throat> there is a, um, a sense that most of us are terrified of, and that's defeat. That's where everything else has won and we've lost. And it's, it's a very... Um, in, indescribable, undescribable feeling. The only thing that we could compare it to is during World War II, um, both the Germans and the Japanese were called to unconditionally surrender. And the Japanese army just wasn't going to surrender. The Germans, Hitler, was not going to surrender. There was that, that, that pride of, we will not surrender, we will fight to the bitter end. And so, in the end... Two nuclear bombs were set off in Nagasaki and in Hiroshima, and the the emperor, who was seen as a human god, had to bow before the Allied 
armies and say, you won, we lost. And that was utter defeat for the Japanese. But that doesn't even come close to Job's defeat. Because Job's not just losing a, a, a war, he's lost everything that mattered, everything that's priceless in this life. So he, he is, after all the disasters, he is absolutely discouraged. He feels that there's no way he could have gone lower, but we're going to find out there is. <laughs> when you think you can't go any lower, the devil will make sure you do. And I just got news for you. Job is the book you need to read every once in a while. If you read your Bible through in a year, it is intended for you to take 40 chapters, and it's like a uh, a good vitamin that just just restores that balance in that happy go, oh, God is so good, where, wow, I need to just trust God when I can't see him and when things are hard. So um, let's... Uh, Let's see how Job shows us some things. First of all, let me just read. I won't have you read, but let me just read chapter 3, and then we'll go back through it. I don't know if we'll get through all of it, but I want you to pay attention to every syllable and, and hear his agony. Feel kind of what he feels, all right? If that's possible, try it. Chapter 3, verse 1. After this, after what? After the loss of everything in his life, the only thing he had was his wife and breath, and he was barely breathing. After this, opened Job his mouth and underlined these words, and cursed his day. Job spake and said, let the day perish wherein I was born. In the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Look at his first question. Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me, or why the breast that I should suck? For now would I have lain still. It's why we call it stillborn. For now would I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest with kings and with and counselors of the earth, which built desolate places for themselves, or even with princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver, or as in hidden, untimely birth. I had not been as infants which never saw light. There the wicked cease from troubling, talk about in the dust, and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together, they hear not the voice of their oppressor anymore. The small and great are there in the grave. 
and the servant is free from his master. Second question, wherefore? There's another why. Is light given to him that is in misery in his life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light third given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. And it's it's an understood why. Why did it come? So, Job shows us in the dark times, number one, that God seems very different than when times are going good. Does that make sense? As far as Job, in, in chapter one, when you find Job, and you'll find his, his descriptions of his life before all of his disasters, you find Job talking about how he ministered to the poor, how he helped people, how he loved his family, how he prayed for them, how he wanted them to succeed, how he worked hard and he, he was, was, uh, uh, building up a, a, a farm and a, and a life to pass on to his children's children. Everything was good. Correct? How do you think he felt about God? What was his view of God doing the, during the good days? What do you think? His view of God was awesome, was great. It wasn't all perfect, but it was good. What's his view of God now? Wow. See, God seems very different in the darkness. God seems small. He doesn't seem big and mighty. He seems like, I mean, when the moon covers the sun, you think maybe the sun is a tiny little light. If it can be covered and bring, bring absolute dark, maybe the sun is tiny. And that's what happens when darkness hits us and this almighty God seems to be in darkness, we think maybe he's not so big. Are you following me? He, God also seems very far away. Like, where'd you go, God? Job says it, David cries out, God, are you away? <laughs> I have found, and this is something just for my, when, when I go through a dark valley, God seems kind of slow. I'm kind of saying, Lord, hurry up. Lord, help me. Lord, where are you? Get, get over here. And he seems like he's not really moving very fast towards me. In, in, the, in the hard times, God seems slow. God seems quiet. Not saying anything. Job yearns, you'll see, probably 15 times Job cries out, God, would you just say something? I would, if I just had one word from you. Lastly, Job seems, sorry, God to Job seems cruel. Wow. So you want to know why most Christians can get bitter at God? It's because they're hurting. And their view of God has changed in the darkness. And they just decided, I guess God doesn't love me. I guess God is just mean. You better decide who God is before you get into the valley because the valley is not when you find out who God is. So, here's the great truth. God cannot be seen. Now, take a step back, find out what I'm talking about. God has never been visible. Nobody's ever seen God. So when you thought God was like something in the light... 
And then when it gets dark, you say, well, maybe God's not like that. You're still looking. You're still trying to figure God out by your experience. That's what charismatics do. Charismatics say, boy, God must be blessing you when you get a new car or when you get a new job. Is that always the case? It is not. So we, now I, listen, every good gift, every perfect gift coming down from the Father of lights. That is true. Everything good in your life you got from God. But everything bad in your life you got from God too. And we've got to, we're going to say something here in just a moment. We've got to be careful about letting our experiences determine what we think God is like. Um, <clears throat> this is hard to hear. Because you cannot see God in your experience. Where do you find out what God is like? Somebody tell me. Raise your hand. Come on. In the Bible. And only in the Bible. You cannot, you cannot find God in science. You cannot find God through a, through a telescope. You cannot find God through an experience. And I'm telling you, I have talked to too many people who will tell me their testimony, and I'll tell you one, it's kind of crazy. I just, I was shocked when he told me years ago, met this guy, he's pretty important here in Cork, he's a big name Christian, and uh, um, he he told me, I said, because I was just, I was just asking him, he says, you saved? Of course I'm saved. I said, how'd you get saved? I was driving in my car. And I was really debating, is there a God, or is there not a God? And lightning struck my car. And there was a light all around me, and I pulled over, and I says, yes, Jesus. And I've been saved ever since. <laughs> now, I have no way to debate him. I have no way to just, but I said, okay, let me show you in the Bible what God said. But to him, his experience determined his view of God. Now, the truth is this. Even though you can't see, like in a full eclipse, you can't see the sun, maybe, he's still there. When when we see the God of the good times, when we see God of the mountain, you better believe he's also the God of the bad times. He's the God of the valleys. Uh, go to, um, I need to go to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings, back to the left, 1 Kings 8, 12. Let's see, Patrick, I'll have you read 1 Kings real loud, 8, 12. First Kings, just one verse, 8 and verse 12. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. Okay, so where was God? In thick darkness. When was the last time you saw a thick darkness in the Bible? You remember. Exodus. Exodus, when there was thick darkness all over Egypt, but there was light in, in Goshen where Israel was. Thick darkness describes a darkness that can be felt. You ever felt a time when it was so dark that it kind of, it, it scared you? It kind of, it reached you? You didn't, you didn't know the light was off, but you felt like this feels thick. Well, God is in the thick darkness. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Josiah, you want to read Exodus 20, and you'll read three verses, 18, 19, 20, 21, four verses. Exodus 20, 18 to 21. Here's another time. <clears throat> Eight, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. 
Hold for a second. Do you know where this is? Exactly. So it's Mount Sinai. There's thunders and lightnings, but it's dark. Keep going. Verse 19. So in the darkness where God was. Okay, so we're learning something here, but we're not finished. 1 Timothy 6.16, you mean. 1 Timothy 6.16. Now this was when I was in Bible college, I had a class that talked about the contradictions in the Bible. And this was one of those classic atheist stupid questions that people go, well, how can this be? God is in the darkness, and God is in the light. And you go, hello, he's God. <clears throat> Let's look at uh, 1 Timothy 6.16. Hold there. So we just saw that God was dwelling in darkness. Where does 1 Timothy 6.16 say he's dwelling? In the light. Okay, keep going. Okay, so he dwelleth in light. You can't see God, and yet he's in the darkness, and he's in the light at the same time. One more, 1 John 1, 5, Kevin. 1 John, keep going to the right. 1 John 1, 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. Okay, just to clear it up, God may dwell in the darkness, but he is not dark. And he doesn't do dark things. But the point is that when things, when God seems dark, he's still there. Just like when things are so bright and so beautiful. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Because the truth is that Jesus showed his brightness on the top of a mountain one day. Marcus, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Okay, so was Jesus reflecting light, or what is that describing? Good, so he was a source of light, and he was brighter than the... Awesome, all right. So here we see a very bright Jesus. Let's now look at another situation. Take your Bible, let's go to Matthew 14. And um, Hannes, you're reading Matthew 14, verses 24... 
to 26. You may read for him. Hold. Sorry. So what time would the fourth watch of the night, if you've got 12 hours and you divide it into four sections from 6 p.m. until 6 a.m., what time frame are we talking yeah, this is, this is the worst part of the morning between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's dark. Okay, now keep going. Amen. All right, so was this daytime or nighttime? Was this a good day or a bad day? Yes. And where was Jesus? He's walking on the water. And the next words he says, hey, be a good cheer. It's me. <laughs> I'm here. I, we, we sometimes wonder, what is God doing with all of these strange... Why would he do that? Why would he send them off into a storm, let them nearly sink, and then in the darkness walk up to him and show him I'm here? Because the whole picture of the Christian life is not happy-go-lucky Woo, everything's going to be fine now that I'm saved. No, you're going to have good days, but you're going to have a lot of bad days, dark days. I mean, darkness that can be felt. But you've got to remember, Jesus, God, is there, present, just like he is at the top of a mountain. He's in the deepest of valleys. We have to get used to seeing and knowing God, not in the things that we experience or in the things that we see or that we don't see. Like somebody says, I don't see God. I just don't see God doing anything in my life. He's still there. We find him in the scriptures. That's why the old phrase was sola scriptura, scriptura, only the Bible. Somebody says, well, I believe this. Good, but I only believe the Bible. Well, I know what I saw. I don't care what you saw. I know only the Bible. So somebody comes up to you and says, I had an angel talk to me last night. What can you say? I wouldn't have talked to him. (laughs) That was from hell. Uh, any Bible, any any angel that ever uh, spoke to somebody in the New Testament, they did not know he was an angel. They never would have said, oh, by the way, that's an angel. No, you always entertain angels unaware. So don't go by what you experience. Now, he actually looked back there in Job, and we'll just probably get this far. See how far I can get with this thought. Job chapter 3 begins a journey. through deep, dark times. And as you remember, he cursed his day. Now, what he's doing is he's damning the very day that he was born. This is pretty rough. He didn't, thankfully, damn his parents for having him. Curse my parents. (laughs) Wish my parents had never let me be born. No. He didn't even curse God. He didn't say, God, why did you let me be born? You know, he was kind of a, 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 a um, he was pretty good. His, his belief system kept him from cursing his parents, which would have been stupid, or cursing his, cursing God. So the only thing left he could curse was his birthday. <laughs> so he said, 
The only thing I hate with every fiber of my being and I wish could be removed from the calendar is my birthday. That's what he does. He wanted it actually removed. He wanted whatever the day was that he was born, he wished it would be removed and never remembered again. And he actually wanted everyone else to curse the day. You know, misery loves company. He wanted everybody to agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd been better if that day had never been in the calendar. And that's that's how low he feels. So when you read chapter 3, you're reading somebody, it's like he wants to kick something, but the only thing he can kick is a, is a can, you know? It's It's just, he just is defeated, and so he curses the very day he was born. So from from the bottom of life, Job asked four questions. And I'm only going to give this, and I'll pick it up next week. I'm not going to get into it because they are pretty intense. Look in verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11. Job asks, first of all, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost, die when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Now, Listen, when, when, a, when a woman's having a baby, you've usually got somebody else there and they cradle the baby and they rest the baby in somebody else's lap. Why did somebody tenderly care for me in my birth is what he's saying. Why were there breasts there that I should suck? Why? So his first question he asks is, why was I born? You ever been that low where you asked, why was I even born? Now, the philosophers put it this question. They've changed it, and they've just changed it a little bit, and they go, why am I here? But everybody ultimately asks that question, and that's a very important question, because that question determines the value of your life. If you really believe you were an accident, I had plenty of friends growing up who were told by their parents, you weren't planned. <laughs> we didn't expect you. And they're like, am I an accident? Should I not be here? How you view your, your birth and your life, and you, if, you can, if you have no answer for why you're here, it will drive you to drink. It will drive you to thoughts of suicide. He asked, why was I born? Secondly, go down to verse 13. He says, for now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then I had been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth. I would have uh, never experienced... All of my life, I would have just been at rest along with all the counselors who are dead. They built desolate places for themselves and then died, or with princes that had gold and filled their houses with silver, or as in hidden, untimely birth, I had not been as infants which never saw life. Then the wicked, there the wicked cease from troubling, there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together, they hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Go down to verse 23 now. So why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? So he asked, secondly, why did God show me so much truth, and yet none of it helps me now? You, you, God, you, you, you show me that there's a way to go, and I can't find it. You give me Wisdom and light and instruction and teaching and truth. And I'm blocked in, I'm hemmed in, I'm, I'm constrained, I can't move. Why do you give me light? Why do you give me truth? And it can't help me in this situation. And I'm, can I 
from experience, I've learned this. Much of what I learn, I expect will help me later on, and then I find out, no, I've got to learn something more. Don't you wish you could sort of read the Bible through and you go, I'm ready for anything. Don't you wish that you could sort of have a have a set of a, a, a set list of things that if you just do, the devil would never have a victory over your life. Don't you wish that? But every time you think you learn something, the Lord says, I've got something else to teach you. And you'll feel like, why? Why can't I just be at rest? Why can't I just stop and just say, finished, graduated, I don't want any more school? Anybody with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? And Job's saying, I'm tired of all the constant new lessons. Why are you teaching me something even now? I don't want to learn anything. I just want to get out of this. That's the second question. Third question. Why does God keep bitter people alive? Look there in verse 20. It says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery? And why is life given unto the bitter in soul? You would expect that if somebody, this is where euthanasia comes in, where somebody is in agony, where somebody's in pain, where somebody is so sorrowful, they just want to die, and then a doctor out of compassion says, I'll help you die. That is the wrong thing to do. Here, Job is asking, why would God want to keep bitter people alive? Um, I mentioned this carefully, but in the last 10 years, there is an explosion of something called self-harm. Does anybody know what that is? Do some of you know what self-harm is? All right. Self-harm is where people cut themselves, and they're cutting themselves for all kinds of different reasons because maybe they just they need to feel something. But they're usually cutting themselves in places where if they went just a little bit deeper, they would bleed out and die. So they're on the very edge of death all the time. What's happening? There is something hurting, broken, bitter inside, and they're wondering why continue to live. And Job asks, why does God allow and want bitter people to keep going on. And then verse 25. Why does trouble come when I don't want it? (laughs) In verse 25, For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, Yet trouble came. What is he talking about? He's saying, I was on guard. I was watching for the enemy. I was prepared. I was prayed up. I was I was walking with God. I was ready for attack. And the, the attack came. I would have thought the devil would have left me alone. Why does trouble come? When I don't want it. Those four questions you will ask to a different degree at the bottom of life. You don't ask it when your wallet is full. You don't ask it when your belly is full. You don't ask it in the good times. Those are four questions you must be ready to have an answer for. Isn't that what First Peter says? Be, be ready always with an answer. These four questions you need to answer. I'm going to stop because we're going to look at how would you ask, answer if somebody said, why were you born? Why are you here? Because I would imagine some of you could actually quite confidently say, I know why I'm here. I'm here to glorify God. I'm here to, to serve God. I, you may have an answer, but I'll tell you what, a lot of Christians don't have an answer. They wonder a lot, why am I here? 
What is my purpose in life? You better find that. Because what the one great thing the devil wants to rob of you is your purpose. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot in the book of Job. There's more than we bargained for. But life is a lot bigger than we thought it would be too. Thank you we don't have a bottle in our hand. Thank you that there's not pills being put down our throat to try to cope with things. Thank you we have a book in our hand that speaks to our heart and speaks to our very situation so that we can rest. We don't actually have to die to be at peace. We can have peace now. We didn't even look at the verses where your son said, I'll give you rest. Come unto me and I'll give you rest. My peace I give unto you. Job didn't even have that, but I've got it. And every Christian in this room has it if we'll avail of it. So, Lord, I thank you for another chapter as we get into in Job that is breathtakingly deep and rich and helpful if we sit in the ash heap with Job and listen because it's for us in the 21st century. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea what's going to happen in a week or a month or a year. And I so want every Christian in this room to be blessed, encouraged. I want us to enjoy the light and the life of the Christian life. But I know that we won't always. I know that there are people in this room who have gone through valleys and are headed in more. And we've got to have something more than just a bottle. We need Jesus. And we need a strong walk with him. We need truth, strong truth. We need, we need your Holy Spirit now. May we, like never before, cry out to you and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I never curse the day, so I can just bless the day, so I can say, blessed be the name of the Lord, and mean it. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.